all the time there is nice memory. Not one match passes something nice happening. And it is a beautiful place, blessed place. And the community and the fans are really very special, which I'm very grateful for them to support me, support the club in all these years. On the 29th of May 1997, Egyptian businessman Mohamed Al Fayed bought Fulham Football Club. With Fulham in the lower half of the Football League, Al Fayed proclaimed we would be playing Premier League football in five years and that Fulham would become the Manchester United of the South. Well, Mo got half of that right. Fulham raced to the Premier League in four years, and once there, the battles for which Mo's business dealings are renowned, or infamous depending on your point of view, would continue. On the 30th of August 2023, Mohamed Al Fayed passed away at the age of 94. To reminisce about Mo's time at Fulham, we're joined by Fulham Supporters Trust board member Tom Greatrex, former Fulham striker Collins John, and Fulham Focus's very own Danny Smith. I'm Boney. And welcome to this very special episode of the Fulham Focus podcast, as we remember Chairman Mo. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to start with Tom, because we're the old men in the room here, really. How are things in this rather tumultuous couple of weeks we've had as Fulham fans? Well, it's been, it's been a... Yeah, a rollercoaster of emotions, hasn't it, on and off the pitch the last couple of weeks? But I think that you know the the reaction response to Friday's news of um, uh, Chairman Mo dying and the uh, the amount of reminiscing and comment and actually love that you've seen outpouring from Fulham fans tells its own story about you know a unique man in many ways, controversial man. Uh, someone who dubious in some regards and under all sorts of um, investigation at various points, but who actually, as far as his involvement with Fulham was concerned, had a real bond with supporters. And that's something which stands in sharp contrast to the ownership we have today. Collins joins us from the wonderful city of Amsterdam, where my friend runs two bars. So we'll have to talk about that later. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Thank you. What was your reaction when you heard the news that Mo had died? Yeah, I was I was shocked basically because um, I heard some news a few days before, but was not confirmed yet. So um, I was actually praying it was not true. Um, but when it got uh, confirmed, yeah, I was heartbroken because he was one of the guys who brought me to the club. You know, so um, first time meeting him back in two thousand and four was uh, was a special moment for me. So. To hear the news he passed away was, um, yeah, was not a great, uh, great day. And Danny was but a mere slip of a lad on that day back in 97 when Mo bought the club. How old were you, Danny? We're going to get this on record. Uh, I think I was eight. My birthday's in June. I think he bought it before June. Uh, so I was either eight or just turned nine. So I come from a a different perspective to uh, maybe Tom, who was a little bit older, um, uh, whereas I was maybe naive, saw it through the eyes of a, of a child, and I was very upset. 
obviously I knew he was he was old and and this day would come one day uh but even though I was young I was under no illusions that he was the reason Fulham got to the Premier League and uh he was the the figurehead of Fulham he was just part of my life and and part of Fulham uh, and as Tom said a very different relationship to the one we have with our current owners so yeah, this is going to be quite an uh, emotional uh, tribute, I think. But um, one that is thoroughly deserved because he's a, a legend. He is. And he's, you know, him buying the club and the, the reaction to that was, was how I started supporting him as a lost Canadian trying to find his club. So I had all the fun of being the newbie abuse of the late 90s that all of us got when we showed up. Hey, you think the... Tourist fans get stick. You should have been on the hammy end when I showed up, ladies and gentlemen. Good Lord. Anyways, right. We won't talk about that. So let's head back to, to 1997 because the club had been in lots of fluxes. There was the merger with QPR that had, that had been mooted. There was all kinds of things going on. The cottage being prime real estate was constantly being mooted for, for sale. And along comes... Mo and snaps up the club for six point two five million pounds on the twenty ninth of May nineteen ninety seven, and he started making some big promises. Tom, what was everybody's reaction to the guy who'd we'll call it snaffled Herods? I think it's the polite way of putting it. What was the reaction to him buying Fulham in the in the fan base at the time? Um, well, you have to remember two things about that time. Firstly. As you say, Fulham had been in a state of flux and we'd had all sorts of owners who basically wanted to be owners uh, because of the value of the land. So that was always that, uh, going back to David Bulstrode and um, even before him, Ernie Clay. So people were very suspicious about that, what the real motive was. The second thing to remember at that time was Mohammed Al-Fayed was absolutely one of the most infamous people around at that time. It was about the time when there was the cash for questions issues and he was very very high profile um so everyone had heard of him everyone knew who he was um so you know there was therefore not surprisingly that the fulham fans like me and people my age and people older were a little bit stunned a bit dubious wondering what the real agenda was what was why would he want to buy a football club and what was he what was it really about because we've been you know we've been bitten before by uh uh, by um, previous owners, and when he said some of the things he said about you know being the Man United of the South and playing Premier League football, um, at that first stage we just thought, well, it's all talk, isn't it? Really, we didn't take it that seriously. It was only probably after the first part of that first season because we'd just been promoted out, out of the old bottom division, the old third division, as it was then called, into Division Two. And it was only when he started making some of those changes that we thought, actually, hang on, he is serious. Um, and I think that's where the sort of the love affair with Fulham supporters and Fulham really blossomed on both sides, because there was a real connection there that that came from somebody who obviously took a lot of joy from the acclaim that he got and being involved in something which was an adventure, and it was a massive adventure at that time. Because it was only a couple months after he bought the club that. Dodi and Princess Diana were killed in Paris. And you were at the, the home game, the first home game after, after that event. It was quite a thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, anybody who was at that, that we played Plymouth um, 
the date was the 9th of September 97, so, you know, a week and a bit after um, he'd lost his son. And um, people who were there, I'm sure, will remember it was a very, very poignant occasion. There was um, uh, a piper, a single piper, playing the last of the men on the pitch beforehand. And he got a tremendous reception from the fans that were there, you know, an outpouring of of sympathy um, from people who, you know, he had just literally just bought the football club. He'd only played, I think, a couple of games before then. Um, and so he was still very new to it. Um, and I think that's where the bond really got cemented because he could see, despite all the stuff he was getting and had been getting for a few years in the press from all sorts of people about various things, football, in a way, gave him a way that he was able to be respected and loved and revered. And because he bought into our football club and started to invest in it, you know, there was a huge amount of gratitude as well. So it was a really strong relationship, but I think it really, the emotional aspect of it really got cemented in that first, or that that game after um, after his son and, and Diana had died in, in September. That was, it was a, just, a, it's a game that I, I don't remember what happened. I know we won 2 no, I don't really remember much what happened on the pitch, but the atmosphere that night is something that I'll never forget. And he repaid that by making some massive signals of intent, didn't he? So that Ray Wilkins, Kevin Keegan came in. There was all the monkeying around with who was actually the manager. And then, of course, Cookie, Chris Coleman, arrives for over £2 million to second division club. Pesh, Paul Paul Pescasolito, I should get my fellow Canadian's name right, really, shouldn't I? Uh, Shows up for over a million as well. It's unheard of money at, at this level. Um, especially for a team who ends up finishing sixth and gets beaten by Grimsby in the playoffs, it's you can you can see where people would be leaning that he's spending all this money and not getting anywhere. But the next year, it it all gels, doesn't it? With with Keegan at the helm, and that year in the second division was fantastic. It was, and we were, you know, we were amazing that season. We, you know, we beat Premier League teams in the cups, uh, beat Southampton, beat Aston Villa. Um, who were then top of the Premier League, I think, when we beat them in the FA Cup. Um, and you've got to remember as well that Kevin Keegan, he left, but he left to become England manager. And I think that's unheard of, a manager in the third tier, um, you know, becoming England manager. Um, obviously, he'd done other managerial jobs before then. But it was just, Keegan was exceptional at getting the best out of players. He was an incredible motivator and man manager. And that rubbed off in the way that, he worked the crowd, but that was a real partnership because it was Fide that put the money in and put the investment in and everything. People, you talk to people who were at the club at that time, and they say everything we wanted, we asked for, he got, you know, he put he put um, a lot of commitment into it. He got some of his people from Harrods and everywhere else working at Fulham, you know, to try to to, to make the best of things. Loads of things off the field improved. He put, uh, helped to get the money that was raised by Fulham 2000 into refurbishing the, the facade of the Stevenage Road stand, things like that. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just on the field, it was off the field as well. But I think, yeah, the day that we signed Chris Coleman was the day when I think people started to really sit up and take notice that this was going to be, you know, at, beyond Fulham fans, this was serious. Um, and it was it was an incredible two or three years though, at that time. It's everything down to the, the type of coaches that we used. Didn't they, I think Herod's did the payroll, so they all got paid on Herod's... Um, Pay slips, yeah. Uh, pay slips and yeah. things. Yeah, it was, it was something. Anyways, first season in the first division, Keegan was gifted to England. I remember it being 
this big thing of him trying to say, well, here, have my managers being good. It was when he was pushing incredibly hard to, to get his passport. And I think that was that the year that the, he wants to be a Brit song started. Um, it, yeah, I think it probably was. Yeah. Yeah. Song that we still, 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 my, still my favorite Alpha. Yeah. Because uh, the other ones are tinged with a little bit of sadness, but that Paul Bracewell season was my first season, full season watching Fulham. And it was weird. I mean, the people that came through the club that year, Stan Collymore, dear listener, you may not have, he blinked and he, he was gone. It was only a few months, but yeah, Stan Collymore played for Fulham. Well, played. He was on the pitch in a white shirt and that was about it. Memory serves. Karl-Heinz Riedler, one of my heroes, showed up, played well, and then got tackled in the air and had a collapsed lung while he was player manager and was carried off in a stretcher. That was all stuff. But then the next thing happens, and I think this is where, for many of us, it's that moment when we start seeing greatness at the club, when John Tegema takes over and starts bringing in a raft of French players and one fantastic Portuguese winger who's still with us. We love him. That, for me, I can remember first going, who is this guy? And then with the signings rolling in, going what on earth is happening? And then that 2000, 2001 season was just, it was magic. I i can't help but smile just remembering going to those games, seeing, I, I, I felt sorry for some of the opposition that we played that year because it was much much like the, um, uh, the championship season we had the, the other year, but we were playing a different type of football. It wasn't we were just better. We were playing football that maybe only, Arsenal had been playing up until that point. It was it was something else. Yeah. Danny, were you old enough to remember that? I certainly was, yeah. And although I fell in love with Fulham way before that and very clear memories of the Mickey Adams team, but by the time we got to Tigana, obviously having seen the likes of Peter Beardsley and that, a name that you you, feel, you didn't mention, you mentioned Collymore in uh, Reedler, but Beardsley in the third tier is just surreal. I mean, as, as, as crazy as having Keegan. But yeah, Tigana was just another level. Um, and I think although Roy was was magical and, you know, the Europa League was the, the pinnacle of, of Fulham's history, I think the style and the swagger of Tigana's team sort of went with Mo the best. Uh, and that sort of personality on and off the pitch was a real good connection. And I think for most fans of that, generation probably would say that was their favourite team or their, their happiest time supporting the club. And and obviously getting to the Premier League after what everything that some fans have been through. And I consider myself a very lucky fan. You know, although I saw Fulham in the bottom tier, I, I was too young to understand the politics or, or the stress of what had come around the time I was born when we could have merged with QPR and lost the club. So for me, my journey was always been on the up. Uh, but to see Fulham get to the Premier League was just like a dream come true. And without him, I don't think it would have happened. It, it's funny because when we think of that first year in the Premier, Premier League, it's there's two things that stick in my head. One, it, well, three things. The badge, because the badge changed, and it kicked right off for that. Pizza Hut being the sponsor, it kicked off. Because I think people getting upset about betting companies, goodness, Pizza Hut. Everyone thought we were a joke. 
again, suddenly the signings start. Edwin van der Sar. We, yeah, we'll, we'll probably talk about Steve Marley a little bit later, but Steed, all these players that start showing up, it, it was it was dreamland for a while. Yeah, Fulham signing Edwin van der Sar. Yeah, granted, he yeah it was after the Buffon fallout at, at Juventus and things, and he wanted a way out. But Fulham signing one of the greatest goalkeepers to ever play the game. It, it was it was nuts. That's sort of my memory. I think the badge is probably the thing that most people will remember from that year because going from the Hammersmith and Fulham crest to the badge that most people probably listening are the one that they, it's the only one they know. The old Fulham independent board was in meltdown for quite a while for that. And uh, yeah, dear, dear. I don't miss those days. Those were fun. But the football was incredible. I'm going to come to you, Collins, because we haven't been talking about you. As you're coming up in the ranks and starting to get on everybody's radar, had you heard of Fulham? I was signed in January. I heard of the interest probably mid-October, end of November. But obviously, I was I was a young star, um, playing week, week, in, week in, week out, scoring goals, enjoying my football. So I didn't really want to get distracted by, uh, by interest from outside. So um, I was just playing football. And then I remember... Probably the first week of Jan, my agent came up to me and he said, I know you want to stay and you're enjoying your football, but the the renewal of your new contract is a bit of a struggle. And at that time, 20 was a financial problem as well. So um, he was kind of giving hints they might want to sell me. So, um, yeah, so the first week of Jan, I was getting little calls from my agent. Listen, there's one club in England who's interested in you. You know, you might talk to them. And I was not interested. Trust me, I was not. I was just like, nah, I want to stay here. This is my club. Obviously, I've played there for when I was 10 years old, you know, uh, all the way to the first team, being 18-year-old, scoring goals and enjoying football. So, um, and then I remember the the full rang was, uh, was Cookie. He called me and he was like, uh, Collins, how are you? He knew everything about me. That was a scary part of it because um, when I was 15, we had this tournament. Cookie was um, was apparently there watching me and I was 15-year-old. So three years before he actually signed me and he was telling me what kind of haircut I got because, <laughs> believe it or not, back in the days, I used to color my hair like uh, blue or, or, or red or whatever. And he knew exactly what, clear, what color hair I had at the time. So, and I was like, okay, you surely did your homework. And, um, yeah, he was telling me, you know, Luis Saha was leaving and they're going to sell him and I'm going to be his replacement and all that. So I was kind of not falling for it, but still I didn't want to know about it. And then, um, yeah, I think maybe three, four days before the window shot was coming close. They made a bid, was rejected, and they make another bid, was rejected. And then I think the last day was all accepted. And, um, yeah, from that moment was a dream. I was still not sure, and Edwin von called me. We were talking about Edwin just now. He called me up, and for that moment, I was I was sold. Um, he was uh, he was great on the phone. Just just the thing he was telling me: listen, if you're homesick, you can come to me. Obviously, I wear Dutch, and you know um, all this, you know all this stuff. You know, you're gonna be living by yourself, so you know we got a spare room for you. You can stay at my house, and I'm gonna guide you through the you know through the seasons and all that. So. Yeah, from that moment I was uh, I was sold, and um, yeah, and 
you know, I speak to Dan uh, many times and uh, he knows how much uh, Fulham uh, means to me. Such a great club, such a warm club. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the history. Collins, what was it like the first time you met Al Fayed? Do you remember? Yeah, of course I remember. We uh, we played Blackburn at uh, Loftus Road. I scored two goals. And uh, so he came to the dressing room and he was shaking hands to all the players. So, yeah, he was he, he sat down to me and he was like, hey, finally you scored and you scored on Saturday as well. That's what you bought you for. He was such a funny man, man, honestly. But, um, yeah, what what I really liked about Afayed was he was a chairman, but he was not a chairman. He was he was part of us. He can talk about your mother. He can talk about your, your dog. He can talk about anything. And he was excellent at that, you know. You never felt like, oh, I have to do it a certain way to him, you know. He was very, you know, one of us. So I remember that game. He was, he was, he came next to me. He was sitting down next to me, and he was saying to me, "Listen, now finally you can kick off your career. You know, we believe in you. That's why we brought you in." And and I was such a, yeah, it was such a pleasing feeling at that moment of time. And uh, and obviously, you know, when we moved back to uh, Craven Cottage, he used to come to the dressing room before the games, after the games. I remember we played Chelsea. And uh, we beat them one nil when one more to score that goal. And he came in before the game and he said, "Guys, you know, if if we get the three points today, um, I'm gonna shut down the Herods for two hours so you can shop." And I was just like, "This guy is just something else, man." I mean, he was such a he was such a gentleman. What he just said, and uh, yeah, he was excellent. And I really felt bad a couple of days ago when he passed away because he was really, like Danny said, also he was. Um, he was Fulham, isn't he? He was. He was. He was part of us. He was. He was the guy who made everything happen. And um, yeah, he was also a supporter as well. And uh, yeah, very lovely guy. Very lovely guy. And by the way, coming back, uh, what Tom said about no, it was not Tom. I think it was Bony. What you said about the the pay slips of Harrods, uh, you, you guys were spot on because I remember the first year I was getting pay slip for uh, for Harrods. Uh, I think the first two years. And I was just like, what is this? And the people was like, obviously, the owner got errors and this, this and that. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was funny. You said three or four words, I can't count, it's late, that resonate. Because the first time I heard of a certain Tom Greatrix was when everything after that first great season in the Premier League started to go a little bit wonky. And we were shown this incredible 30,000 Caesar Stadium on the site of the cottage. Everything was going to be fantastic. We'd have to be at Loftus Road for a year. It'll be okay because this incredible thing's going to come. And um, and then we find out that the ground's been sold for £50 million to a brand new company called Fulham River Projects, which even when you look it up now on the history and company's house, there's nothing for it. It's, it's, it's mad. But a grassroots campaign, we'll call it, was started back to the cottage and I think it in my memory it had pretty universal support Tom from from us fans because it was a bit of a shock to have that I still I couldn't find a picture of it when I was doing the research but it was sort of like a like a beautiful sort of oval single single terrace um 3D design that they showed us all um for they came I think in the season ticket renewal pack I, I seem to remember it was this whole thing about going to Loftus Road. Yeah, what the hell happened with all that really, I suppose, Tom, is the easiest way to put it. This is a very long story, so I'm going to give you the short version, but to give people who 
listening, you might have heard of Tony Banks, who's a veteran Fleet Street sports reporter and a Fulham fan. He's got a book coming out in October, which is on the the Alfired years at Fulham, which will um, go into much more detail. But basically, what happened was, you know, from when from when he first bought the club, Fire was clear that we needed to have a bigger uh, stage to play on. Went through a very long process to get that planning permission, and there were lots of challenges from residents and everything else. Um, and so, at the time where we and we could only stay at Fulham for one year because we had this, we had a two and a half size was standing, which you weren't allowed to do in the Premier League at that time. Um, we saw not now. So we got a dispensation for a year on the basis that we were going to move out and then rebuild the ground. And that's what everyone thought was going to happen. But what happened in between times was basically uh, it, they realised it was going to be too expensive to try to do. You weren't going to get out of it. And they were a bit stuck. Um, we moved to Loftus Road, but by the time we'd moved to Loftus Road, it was they hadn't told the fans yet, but we'd sort of found out by various means that they weren't going to build what they had planning permission for. They were going to hide behind the residents' challenges to not do it. Um, and that they were interested in a site which was known at various points as the Dairy Crest site, Helical Bar. It's basically where um, Westfield is now. That's roughly where it is, um, That which at that time was undeveloped. And that was going to be the site for a new stadium for Fulham. Um, this all came out in via the press um, round about the end of 2002. So after we'd been at Loftus Road for a little while, we'd already started agitating to say we should go back to Craven Cottage um, when Fulham was saying they were leaving their options open. When it came, when the news came out that actually what it effectively done is sold the ground to this new company, development company, um, it wasn't actually, it wasn't that united a, a feeling amongst Fulham supporters. We got quite a lot of stick from quite a few Fulham supporters who said, well, look, he's the owner. He's got us to the Premier League. We should be grateful for that. And if he's playing a new ground, I'll still go. Um, but what happened over the course of a, a that, that year or so? That sounds kind of familiar to some of the discourse yeah. at the moment. <laughs> and it, it does. And it, it, it shocked some of us at the time, but those of us it shocked the most are probably the people who've been veterans, not veterans, but been around about the time of Fulham Park Rangers and when we really looked like we were going to have to end up ground sharing at Chelsea and we'd go out of business back in the sort of uh, mid-80s to mid-90s in that period before we took over. But gradually what happened was, through lots of different means and campaigning and activity and various other things, that helical bar site, that White City site became too difficult. There were other people interested in it. At the same time, we did a lot of work to present how you could go back to Craven Cottage and we sold it to the club as being something they could do on a temporary basis while still looking for a long-term solution. And to his great credit, actually, you know, because we had some we had some run-ins with Fayed at that time, and he at various points his press people talked about us as though we weren't true Fulham supporters and all this sort of stuff. But actually, in the course of that quite intense year or so, we had two meetings with him. Um, and by the end of the second one, he basically said, Look, if you can come up with a way of doing it, tell us. And actually, we came up with a way of doing it, which is effectively what, what happened, which was build, put seats up by the Hammersmith and Putney in and put a roof on it, convert the bottom of the, uh, uh, the Stevenage Road stand, put seats on that, and that would give you roughly 20,000 capacity as it then was with the old Riverside stand. And the people at Fulham at the time had worked on something basically pretty similar. And to his great credit, he accepted it and said, well, look, if you, if you want to go back to Craven Cottage, we'll go back to Craven Cottage but I don't think it's a long-term solution. And we sort of said, well, we'll buy that. We'll get back and then we'll then we'll try and convince you to stay here for good. And he did. And that, I think, speaks to something about him, which was despite 
you know the the tension there was at the relationship at the time and and you know almost the battle that we had eventually it wasn't that just that what supporters want to prevail but he did listen and he was a astute enough uh, man to understand that with football clubs and football supporters you you alienate them at your peril and actually he he relented changed course we got back and I think that was the making of Fulham because up until that point, people had said, well, you know, Fulham couldn't be a Premier League team at Craven Cottage. Actually, we were. And we were for a sustained period and got to a European final and all the other things we're going to talk about over the period until um, until we were relegated um, again. And that could happen at Craven Cottage. And now Craven Cottage is the thing that's part of the selling point of Fulham. So that tells you how much, you know, how important that heritage is and how he, in the end, he understood it, changed his mind and did the right thing. I suppose it was the first time as a Fulham supporter, in my mind, we saw the side of Mo that most of the people that sat across a, a table from him doing, doing a deal saw. You know, <laughs> you know we, we're not going to delve too much into the whole Marley lawsuit with, with Tegan and stuff, things like that. He was, he was happy to be litigious. But I suppose for a little while there, from all the defending that a lot of people had done of, of, of Mo. Uh, seeing him as this sort of grandfatherly figure that had saved the club, you know, you, you used the um, the term on the the trust article there that it was a calculated deceit. It was cold hearted business logic, wasn't it? That he he was trying to pull, but when it didn't come off, he was, as you said, he was astute enough to to change tack. Yeah, I mean, it it, it was a calculated deceit in the sense that his holders were moving out for one purpose. And actually, we we found out subsequently that that wasn't really what was in their in their minds or their approach. And actually, you know, in all the battles that have been over Craven Cottage, Mohammed Al Fayed. This is the irony of this: someone who is revered amongst Fulham supporters for good reason that we, we've talked about and continue talking about. He was the only owner ever to get us out of Craven Cottage. You know, plenty threatened it, plenty had plans to do it, but it actually, was only under fire that it ever happened. Fortunately, we got back. And I, I see that, you know, that is something which we should always be aware of and wary of. But the fact that we got back is something which we should also recognise. As you say, that was, in the end, he could see what the right decision was and was a big enough character to take it, even though it meant going back on something that he'd said a few months ago. We should mention that one of the greatest achievements in the history of our club happened at Loftus Road. Winning the ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> it was in, in our time there that we won the incredible Intertoto Cup. So we won it one time, ladies and gentlemen. We won it one time. It was weird going there. I, I, a, it was QPI's ground. And it is still a shithole. Um, sorry, language. But uh, it was good to come back. And thank thank you for all the hard work, Tom, and to what became the, the Fulham Supporters Trust as well, which is with us now and still doing sterling work. Um, if you're not yet a member, dear listener, sign up today. Link's in the description, I'm sure. Um, let's get back to the football for a minute. The relationship with Tigana was was collapsing. Um, Steve Marley, our, there's those of us that saw him score. I'm sure I had a t-shirt once that said I saw Steve Marley score. Because, you know, it, it, it it was a lot of money for someone who clearly didn't want to be there. But something we um, need to talk about is the manager that brought Collins to the club, our own Chris Coleman, ends up as caretaker manager in April 2003. And it's a time I look back on 
with a lot of fondness because it was a good, solid squad, a good, solid team that we were really hard to play against. It, it wasn't the beautiful stuff that we were used to under under Tiggs, but it was it was good good football and it was effective football. Danny, to you as you smiling at me. What do you remember of Cookie being in charge? Well, I think he inherited a, a very good team. But listen, I think Cookie, in his own way, did incredibly well because, as you've mentioned with the Marley signing not quite working out, it seemed to put our fired off investing. Uh, the big marquee money signing wasn't necessarily the way to, to survive in the Premier League. And after selling Louis to, to Man United, I don't think the the majority of the, the names that, that came in, um, with the exception of Collins, were necessarily the same sort of players that we were linked to going into the, the first Premier League season. But because Cookie had the likes of Boar and, and Steed in the team, uh, it was enough to to keep us going, and we got some incredible results going to Old Trafford and winning, beating Chelsea back at the cottage. But I suppose Coleman was was the manager that took us back home, and yeah, I mean it'd be good to know what that experience was like for for Collins because as a fan, that was obviously very emotional, very special. That first game back, what well, what was it like for you? Because obviously you signed for us when we was at Loftus Road, so was you aware of how important Craven Cottage was to the fans. To be honest with you, no, I didn't. I didn't obviously know because uh, when I signed, we were we were straight to um, Loftus Road. That's also where I was uh, presented to the fans, and it was a bit weird because I heard the story from uh, McBride. Uh, because I think McBride just signed a week before me, but he's the one who told me about. Listen, we're gonna be here for a little while, and then. We're going to move back to Craven Cottage and all that. So I didn't really know how important it was for the fans. But, you know, looking backwards, obviously, if I was a fan, I would be exactly the same. Um, you know, you need your ground, you need your home, and you don't want to be, especially QPR as well, you don't want to be um, going up to QPR Stadium and support your team. So, um, no, I mean, going back to Cookie, Cookie was, yeah, he was, he was, he was special. Of course, before his exit, we, we clashed a few times, but that's normally football. I felt like uh, I needed more game time, but uh, yeah, the first three and a half years or so, he was he was my dad. I mean, can you imagine an eighteen year old signed from um, from Holland? I came in and um, I had a few goals. I think it was after the Blackburn game, um, and he came up to me and he said, "Listen, you look a bit sad because I came into the training. I, I looked a bit sad." So he came up to me and he said, "Collins, what is it?" I said, "Well, you know, I miss my mother. She's not well. She's a bit ill." He gave me two days off and he said, listen, if you need third, just let me know. He was such a, he, he just, he just pressed the button at the right, in the right time. He just, he can just read you and give you the right words. And he was excellent at that. I, I think I spoke to a few people before. I don't think tactics wise, he was one of the best, but he just knew how to motivate players. And um, every single game we went out there thinking we were the better side and, I think that's a quality as well a gaffer can have. And uh, yeah, he was a special character. He was funny. He was, he was, you know, like what Danny said, he was very down to earth and he knew exactly how to prepare teams, you know, to play to the top teams and be, 
you know, equal in a sense of mentality. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, Cookie was a special guy, not just because he brought me to the football club, but if you actually know Cookie uh, as a man face to face, he was, yeah, he was part of, um, he was part of the team and that made uh, him a very special man. Uh, it's it's funny you say that, Collins, because I've done when when Fulham Focus first started, I did quite a few interviews with players from the Mickey Adams team, from the team that got us promoted from the the bottom division, and obviously that's around the time Alfie buys the club, and one by one they were sort of phased out for the bigger names to come in, and a lot of them say that Chris Coleman was that that middleman, the one that sort of there was a bit of tension there, obviously, between the players that were coming down from the, the bigger divisions on more, bigger money. And, and they knew that their time was up at the club. But Coleman was very good at uniting the dressing room, despite yeah. that division. Yeah, he was. No, he was, um, he was, he was excellent. He was, um, I remember, so I remember one time, you know, coming from Holland, you can't really say cookie or, you know, or whatever. So I was like, manager, manager, like, coach, coach. And he was like, Collins, don't call me that. Just call me Cookie, you know. That's that's how people know me. Just call me Cookie. I'm one of you guys, you know. I'm part of the team. And I, I don't want to be called manager or coach. I'm just Cookie. And I was like, okay, fair enough. From that moment, I called him Cookie. And sometimes, obviously, Gaffer. But, um, yeah, he was, uh, he was excellent. He was very, very good in uh, what I just said. You know, reading players, you know, giving players the right guidance at the right time. You know, if you needed a rest, he would give you one day off or, you know, he would come up to you. He would say, listen, you have to stay longer and train a bit harder. Like he was, yeah, he was excellent, obviously, with Steve King as assistant. The duo was just excellent. And, um, yeah, that what made uh, Cookie Cookie, I guess. The two occasions that spring to my mind from going back to the cottage were obviously going home uh, was a very special day. But also the day... We pay tribute to Johnny Haynes. I don't know if it was necessarily down to our fire or whether it's people working at the club, but I thought that was an occasion we we just got it spot on how we how we celebrated the career of our greatest player. It was just um, yeah, it was a special day, and obviously you scored that day against Liverpool. That was a great day. It was um, you know, from a from a supporter's perspective, it was a very emotional day. I mean, we've talked about other emotional days already, but. That's one of the things I think that Alfred really got. He understood about the history and the and the things that were important to supporters and understood them. You know, not always. And there's probably a couple of examples because they really didn't. But you know, on that he definitely did. Um, and I think partly because of you know the nature of some of his other businesses, Harrods, etc. They did that sort of stuff really well. You know, the tribute stuff because he had a few during that time people that. Had, passed away and you know obviously not all Johnny as great as Johnny Haynes but others and and they're always really good at those from what the period when we moved back um and it was just that was just that was one of those days wasn't it under that in that period one of those really really memorable days because of not just what happened on the pitch obviously that was very important um and impressive but the whole atmosphere around the whole day was incredible yeah I just I just knew honestly it was a sunny day I was I was well rested all week, trained proper. I remember how exactly how I was feeling that day, and I was energized. I was I was hungry to score, and I was yeah. I was just you know sometimes as, as a player you just know you just know like 
it's going to, it's going to be a day. Craven Cotty was rocking, you know, the true boots for Johnny Ains was a big special moment. The fans was emotional. And I just knew we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take advantage of Liverpool. I just knew it. And obviously to score and, um, and Boa scored. Yeah, it was a great, great afternoon. I remember all of us after the game, we went to, um, Wimbledon, uh, Wimbledon Village. Uh, all of us, actually, all of us had a had a dinner. Uh, it was such a great day, honestly. What a great day! Great day, great win. Just to get a couple of perspectives here, what was that that first game back at the cottage like as players going into the cottage at that first game back after everything that had happened over the last two years? How did it feel? Yeah, no, it was great. You know why? Because I re- I remember exactly and and and. Somebody just said something about Cookie, you know, bringing things together. I knew exactly when and, and all that kind of stuff. He, he, he did exactly the same this time because uh, we never train in, in uh, at the ground at Craven Cottage, never. And especially that that week, we train about three, four times at the stadium just to get a feel for it. Obviously, you know, the, being the first game back at the Craven Cottage. Uh, so, yeah, we trained there uh, on a Friday. We trained on a Wednesday and a Thursday. Uh, and obviously played a game against, um, I think it was Bolton. I think it was a draw, wasn't it? Or did it one one game? We won that day. I think Andy Carl scored. I think we won 2-0. Yeah, 2-0. Yeah. And, and McBride, wasn't it? And McBride? No, I, I thought Andy Carl got two. Oh, he got yeah. two, yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, training, uh, training out in Cottage and obviously playing that game uh, on Saturday. Uh but yeah, everybody was excited. Everybody was buzzing. Um, yeah, it was great to finally, you know, play at the <laughs> at the stadium where um, where potentially that's the club I signed for. So uh, yeah, it was a great feeling to actually uh, meet the fans and you know and show the fans what I can do. And uh, I think every player had that, you know, just to be back home and feel confident. And I think and and we spoke about it as well as a player. Just to get the three points to make everybody happy, and uh, you know to have a to have a, kick, a good start of the season, and um, yeah, it was great, and we won. So um, yeah, it was uh, was a great day. It it was quite surreal for me because I obviously I was there at the, the two years at Loftus Road, but being quite young, early teens, I sort of like I assumed we was going to go back to the cottage because I wasn't really focusing on the politics, but I sort of put the, the cottage to one side, if you know what I mean. It was in the back of my mind because we was at Loftus Road and we were playing well. Um, and I had no reason to, to go and see the cottage whilst it was being developed. And I was I was in my last year of school, um, the, the year before we went back, and we had a, a boat party, to sort of like a leavers thing. Um, and we we boarded the boat at Tower Bridge because that's where I, the area I was from. And we went up the river and someone said to me, that's Fulham, isn't it? And, uh, and I looked and it was the first time I'd seen the ground developed and it actually turned around at Craven Cottage and headed back. It was like the whole thing was like the, the, the destination was to get to Craven Cottage and that was the first time I'd seen it. Um, and I was very excited. It looked very modern uh, compared to what it looked like before, with the, the you know the standing and that. And you know, for me, my my Fulham story was always going to the cottage with my granddad and my mum, and standing in the enclosure. And that's where we have our season ticket, and we always have. We we sit in where the enclosure was. So to see them modernise it to all seat, uh, it it was quite 
an incredible thing, really. Um, and whether you were young or old, you, you couldn't help but understand how important it was. Sometimes that atmosphere just gets you when you're in the ground. And, and it was very, very special just being back. And then, of course, they get on the pitch and start singing, which Mo was, uh, you know, did a couple of times, didn't he? Bringing out um, his greatest hits, Real Madrid and back home. Tom, for you and the Back to the Cottage team, what was that day like? It was, you know, I, I don't remember the game as in I couldn't have told you who scored or whether we won or not. I remember the day. I remember the day because the game before we left Craven Cottage, the penultimate game at Craven Cottage before we left was against Bolton. And we won 3 0, and it was a midweek game. And that was when I first found out <clears throat> that we weren't going to be going back long before it was public. And it felt quite poetic that our first league game back, you know, after the preseason friendlies was against Bolton. And it felt just like a massive sense of relief because it had been a really, really intense year and a half to two years of campaigning, activism, you know, standing up, arguing with people, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you're criticising and disagreeing with your club, you know, because that's a really difficult thing to do because it's your club and you support the team. You don't stop supporting the team. But if you're in a position where you think what the club's club is doing is wrong and you end up in a position that you're part of, you know, the public um, enunciation of that and campaigning. It wasn't fun, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm very impressed with the team that we had. We did quite a lot over that period, but it wasn't fun. It was horrible. I hated it in lots of ways because what we wanted to be doing was supporting our team. And so the biggest emotion of actually finally getting back and have playing a Premier League game and proving that you could have Premier League football at Craven Cottage, which is what we were told, you can either have Craven Cottage or the Premier League, actually you can have both, and we did have both, was overwhelmingly a huge sense of relief. It wasn't a sense of achievement, a sense of relief that we're now able to focus on the team and supporting the team and the players and enjoying the football because that's what that's what we all we ever wanted to be able to do. Um, and so I remember the day, although I don't, I don't remember anything about the game at all. It sort of sparked... Uh... An odd sort of time, didn't it? Because Cookie's brain, it, it just all went a little bit wrong in, in 2000, 2006, 2007. And, of course, Louis Sanchez comes in, um, keeps us up, gets a ridiculous contract. He signs hundreds of hundreds of players of varying quality and only lasts until December. So Louis Sanchez, one of Mo's less inspired moves, but he follows that up by bringing in Roy Hodgson. And that still sticks me as probably the most emotionally nerve-wracking six months of my Fulham life because we were crap for most of that time until that Man City game. And, yeah, to be fair, everything started going going wrong once they sent you out on loan, Collins, wasn't it? As soon as you went, it was... Things I, I suppose what what was the mood in the camp like when all of that started the wheels started coming off a bit mate well it's two ways of the story isn't it I mean like you said about crap we were crap as well the last few months on the cookie uh, there is no excuse about that there is no there's no good word to say about that we were terrible conflict was gone we had a, like uh, a loser streak I think 
top of my head, seven or eight games without a win was just a disgrace, uh, was bad. And then obviously, you know, as a player, you kind of know like it can happen because that's football. But it was still a big, big surprise for everybody to sack Vicky because I remember it. I was at home in the morning just before I went to training. I got a phone call from Marcella Brooks. She was one of the media girl there. She, she texted me and said, listen, have you heard Cookie's been sacked last night? And I didn't know how to react. Obviously, you know, you know, I went to the training, normal time, came in. Um, um, I can't really remember. Somebody came into the, to the dressing rooms uh, and I said to us, obviously, you know, listen, Cookie's gone. Uh, um, for further information, uh, you guys gonna hear about uh, this uh, this afternoon. So obviously we trained and um, yeah, well it didn't take that long because half 30, about thirty minutes later, Lois Sanchez Draymond came in uh, just before we finished the session. Uh, introduced himself to all the players and everybody was kind of in shock. And um, yeah, it was a sad day. It was it was it was just yeah, it was it was it was weird. Honestly, it was a weird day. Um, and I think also uh, as a player, you, you you're gonna start thinking, <laughs> what's gonna happen with my career and what's gonna happen with my future. Uh, that's what obviously you think as a player side. So yeah, um, looking back, that was um, yeah, that was a sad moment, and um, especially the relationship with that with Cookie was was excellent. Like I said before earlier in this part, um, I had a few crashes with him, and it was the crashes was also. At that time, because I felt I had to, I had to play a little bit more, but um, you know that's that's uh, that's a normal conversation what we have with uh, with a coach at uh, sometimes in football. But uh, yeah, I remember I wasn't happy, but I was not because I wanted Cookie to be sacked or something. I just wanted to, to play more, and obviously when Cookie was gone, it was uh, was a big surprise for me and uh, and a painful uh, um, time, but. Yeah, what happened with uh, Laurie Sanchez? That is something uh, I don't really want to talk about because that was a bit. Um, that was yeah. That was uh, well, it was some decision he made it was a disgrace. But uh, you know that is that is a conversation made for another time. Yeah, we 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 don't we don't want to talk about him. I, <laughs> yeah, I think this podcast and many others have have talked to death about that that Man City game. And I, I actually remember turning the radio off <laughs> at 2-0 down and <laughs> turning it back on again, thinking, no, I'm going to hear them get relegated. And, of course, it all kicked off. I, I actually just wanted to ask the, the guys in the room here, the, the Portsmouth game, because it, it was a way – it was easier to get, you know, ticket to the, the Hamburg game at the cottage than it was to get a ticket to that, that Portsmouth game. <laughs> yeah, I ended up in a pub in Rains Park with Paul Thorpe and Foxy's dad watching a game on a dodgy stream in a pub. And we were drinking a lot because it was just one of those ones that you just were sitting there white knuckling it and going to the, the bar. That pub must have made a fortune that night. And then, of course, the goal scored. And I remember Foxy's dad turning to us after we'd finished screaming and jumping up and down and hugging each other said, I knew we were going to win. What, what do you mean? And he went, wearing Matt's watch. And in a normal environment, that would have been an emotional thing. He got five minutes of abuse for not telling us that two hours before, so we didn't have to go through that stress. But that was my experience of, of that game. It, the, the 
yeah, I, I've never supported another club in the semi-final of an FA Cup more than I did Portsmouth that year. Tom, what do you remember about that that final game of the season? Well, that that by then I was living in Scotland. I'd lived in Scotland for a couple of years, and I was but as I was seeing, I was coming down for games, and that that last few games from Man City game onwards, I was at every single one of those, um, and. I because I was because it hadn't been that long since back to the cottage and stuff. I was on my broadcaster sort of lists, so I, I was on five live almost every week before our last game, saying, "Is this the week we're going to get relegated?" And you know, and I had to keep coming back because we stayed up and we stayed up. You know, we didn't we we managed to keep avoiding it. And that that day at, at Portsmouth, I remember I got there really early that morning because of just um, flights and travel and everything else. And it was a beautiful day. And as you say. Portsmouth didn't really care because they're in the cup. They got the cup final the following week, um, but when and the fact that we were behind that goal when Danny Murphy headed that in, which I'm not sure how many headers he ever scored. I don't. Re- I can't remember seeing another one for Fulham. I don't think, but maybe he did. But it was just that was just one of those <laughs> incredible moments, and it was yeah, you know, huge sense of relief, but also. A feeling that actually, I wasn't that surprised that we did so well the season after, because it felt like the spirit was back. And you know, and Collins was talking about it. You know, we bit before and under Sanchez and everything else, it sort of disappeared a bit, and it got a bit. We weren't very good, and it felt like a bit like the identity had gone a little bit. But that spirit that took took us through those last few games against the odds and staying up. I think it was a goal difference in the end, wasn't it? Above Reading, just about staying up by the skin of our teeth. That was. You could feel that spirit amongst that that squad by the end of it and the what we went on to achieve afterwards. Yeah. Thank, thank goodness old Jimmy Hill's goal scored thing was long dead by then. We would have been stuffed that, that year. <laughs> Danny. Honestly, the most incredible emotional roller coaster I've ever been on being at, at Portsmouth that day. Um, we won four of our last five to, to achieve the great escape. And the only one I wasn't at was uh, the Man City game. I was at Reading away. We lost to Liverpool, Man City, uh, Birmingham, and then Portsmouth. And I was like, no, I'm definitely going to this one. And like I said, I was a young fan when I bought the club. So my experience has always been on the up, everything positive, always aspiring to be at the top. And this was the first time we were looking down. And I don't think you know supporting a club until you're in a position where it's really bad. And for me, that was the worst it had, it had been. And the emotions you go through, the stress it causes, and the relief when you finally know that you actually have survived. Um, so, you know, the, God knows what Tom's been through, you know, in, in previous years to that when it was really, really shit. But for me, that day was the most stressful and the most incredible. The relief and the feeling when Murphy scored, I was right in line with it. The, the part of the net he, he headed the ball into, if it had, the net hadn't have been there, I probably would have been able to catch it. And everyone went flying downstairs to the front. I've never seen my mum celebrate a goal like that. Um, it was barbaric at times, but uh, in a in a very passionate, you know, meaningful way. You know, we're not animals at Fulham, but when survival's on the line, maybe we are, you know, and that's... That's the wonderful thing about supporting Fulham. We we might do it in our own way, but we're still passionate. We've been going on for a while. We're going to talk about two things. One is 
that incredible European run, which, you know, we can all wax lyrical about. I can remember driving to Hamburg with my dear friend Danny Moss. There was two carloads of us legging it out there on the day of the match. And it was Danny who got us all into Fulham. He very sadly passed away from ALS a, a few years ago. But I can remember the closer we got to Hamburg, the stress on his face was more because he, he, you know, he'd grown up on the Stevenage Road, and that was it. And I can remember for most of us, it was just saying we get a beer soon. We've been in a car for twelve hours, however long it took us to drive to Hamburg. But the stress for him, as someone like Tom, who who'd been there through the, the the dark the dark old days, to see our club in a European final. For him was amazing. I remember also that was also where we introduced him to Jägermeister, which he'd never had before in his life. We were in the Tortuga Bar in St. Pauli. Yeah, it got messy. We had to drive home the next day. But we sort of go around the room that just to sort of paraphrase that incredible run with with Roy and, and that team. Pick a moment. What stood out for you? in that run to the, the the final in Hamburg, Danny? I think it would have to be Juventus. Um, I think it has to be. Uh, for me, it, you know, it, it had everything. You know, it told the fairy tale of the whole Alfaya journey in one ninety minutes. Um, how Fulham can go from rock bottom and, and sort of like not really going anywhere to dreamland. And the Clint Dempsey goal, although it's not Fulham's best ever goal, because Kasami's was certainly better, but I think in terms of what it meant and the occasion, I think it's Fulham's greatest goal. So, yeah, it would probably have to be that. But then, obviously, I mean, Hamburg, the, the, the semi-final at home and knowing we was in the final, the post-match commentary, you know, is phenomenal. Obviously, didn't hear that until we got home and played the replays. But just yeah, just everything about the Juventus game and the semi-final, I think were were very very special. And even being at the final, the whole day was just incredible. Uh, the whole build-up was just surreal. This was Fulham in a in a European final. My mum insisted on getting the coach from the cottage because she's scared of flying. So that was quite long. I think it took about fourteen hours. But um, it was worth it. Even though we lost, it, it was the best you can ever get as a Fulham fan. And these days wouldn't have happened if Alfie hadn't have bought the club. Obviously, we owe a lot to Mickey Adams as well for, for getting us promoted. And we didn't really touch on that. Maybe that put us in the eye of, of Alfie being one step closer to the Premier League. So he deserves a special mention. But... Had he not bought the club, we wouldn't have been in the European final. I think that just sums up his legacy. You know, we owe him everything, even though at times maybe judge things wrong and, and he made mistakes like taking us away from the cottage. As Tom said, he listened, listened to the fans and in the end he put it right. And I don't think you should always judge someone by their mistakes. You judge them by, you know, how they respond to that and what how they learn from that. Um, and his relationship with the fans just grew and grew as we went back to the cottage. And every time he come on the pitch with his scarf and you know greeted us before the games, it just felt like we were saying thank you to him every time for where we were. And 
it's just a shame we didn't get the trophy because I think it, we deserved that. But nevertheless, it's still a fairy tale. Yeah, if that had gone to pens, we would have won that. Collins, you, you'd moved to Belgium that year. What what was it like watching your old club do what they did? Yeah, amazing. Um, I was nervous watching that game, actually. Obviously, all the players um, who's been on the pitch, Chris Bird, Simon Davis, uh, Clint Dempsey, all of them, Danny Murphy, you know, they were all my teammates. And, and I was still texting them. Uh, back then, all the way uh, up to the final, wishing them good luck. And obviously, the gaffer, Roy Hudson, yeah, was, was like Danny just said, I was just proud, obviously, because Atletico Madrid, they're, they're just a top team, isn't it? Obviously, you never know at this kind of finals because anything can happen. But obviously, they were favourite to win. And uh, after the game, when, when, we, uh, when we lost, you can just be proud of the team and proud of the club and proud of the history, everything about it. What... But then he just said it's just remarkable. You know, it's such a great story, just a great fairy tale as well. Uh, you know, being in the championship, promoted and, you know, almost relegated. Then in the final, uh, you know, the, the special nights, European nights at, at the Craven Cottage and then obviously to the final. You can just, it's only one word. That's, that's just be proud of your, of your club and be proud of what we've been through together and to... Um, it felt like we won something. Obviously, we didn't, but it felt like we won something, and and also felt like I was part of it because it was my club very, uh, very, uh, not very long ago when I obviously left. So um, yeah, I was a bit sad, but I was always, I was also very uh, proud of the team and proud of what they have done um, that season. That uh, European run, um, I was living in Scotland, in fact, I, that was when I got elected to Parliament. So I had this really weird sort of parallel things that were happening at that time. So I was at I was at the Juventus game, and I think I agree with Danny, that was just, that was absolutely magic. And I'd flown down, and because it was a six o'clock kickoff, I was on the sleeper back, which meant you could go out and celebrate afterwards. And that was one of the great things about those six o'clock kickoffs, wasn't it? That you could finish at half eight, and then or by 8.30ish, and then you'd um, had... Uh, time to sort of try and blink and see if you could believe what you just seen. Um, and that, and that, you know, just the achievement of getting to the final you know, is the pinnacle of that, of what Fulham have ever been able to do. And the fact that it, it wasn't quite, but it was almost really the end of that period. I sort of think it's the end of the period, the fire period really um, by then. Um, and I remember doing exactly the same driving there because I think, was it the semi-final there being this, the ash cloud or whatever it was that stopped flights and didn't want to risk that. There was no way I wasn't going to the final. So me and a couple of mates drove um, and uh, we drove back. Obviously, the day after I got back and I got a phone call from the House of Commons saying, um, are you going to come in? Because there'd been a week since the election. I've not turned up. Um, and so there's this photograph of all the new MPs elected in 2010. And I'm the only one not in it. And I'm not in it because I was at a European final. But you know, European final was much, much more important to me than the general election. And uh, we'll never see it again, I don't think. But it was an absolutely magic time, a superb um, culmination of a journey that, to me, started probably with Mickey Adams and that for all but the first year was a journey that um, Mohamed Al-Fayed was the owner of our club for. And yes, we had that period in the middle with the issues with the ground, but we got over them. And resolve them, and as Danny said, that is the mark of that period. Actually, is that 
in the end, we got to where we want to get to, which is Fulham Football Club in the Premier League, in a European final, playing at Craven Cottage. It was absolutely magic. I think that's a really good place to start wrapping up. We're not going to talk about the other managers. We're not going to talk about that statue. That doesn't deserve a, a place that's... It's Pete Bell, but we're not going to talk about him. I suppose let's just go round the room. Everybody, two things. Who is your favourite Mohamed Al-Fayed signing and why is it Collins John? And your favourite memory of his ownership of the club? Let's go. Well, let's start with Collins. What? Why are you the best signing Mo made? <laughs> <laughs> now, for me, the best signing has to be Etwi van der Sar. Not because he's Dutch. Um, also, what he has done for me as a human being, a great professional, great name for a football club as Fulham. I think, yeah, for me, that's number one. And to be honest, he just kind of tipped it off as well because after Fulham, obviously, he moved to Man United. Then, obviously, you know how good he was. Um, he was such a big part of, uh, of the history of... Uh, the era Afayet and um, my favourite moment at Fulham uh, is obviously the, the day I signed um, I remember leaving my mum's house trying my eyes out for about an hour she couldn't believe uh, what the 18 year old son I've done uh, you know growing up in a in a, in a very basic uh, neighborhood in, in, in a small city of um, maybe about 20 miles away from uh, from Enschede. That's the, the city where Twente is from. But obviously going to the big city, to London, and, you know, signing for a Premier League club as Fulham. Those are proud moments for me. And uh, so surely the the day I signed for Fulham is, 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 um, is up there. And believe it or not, a lot of people will say, he will say, um, the goal you scored of... Uh, uh, the goal you scored against, um, I guess, uh, Middlesbrough. No, definitely not. So my favourite moment will be uh, the Johnny Ainge uh, game. The goal I scored against uh, Liverpool. Like I said before, it was a special day. It was sunny. It was it was just an unbelievable uh, a moment. Uh, the, the, the fans were emotional. Um, I just wanted to prove everybody wrong. It's going to be an amazing uh, celebration day. And... Uh, we did it. Won against a big team in Liverpool. They were strong. They were strong. I remember, uh, obviously, Hippier, you know, uh, Gerard and, and, and Finnan and Barros. And that was such a great team. And uh, for us to beat them at home and on such a great um, occasion was, uh, was a special moment for me. Danny, favourite signing, favourite moment? Well, um, favourite signing would be Boa because he's my favourite ever player. I thought Bo and Steed were very important to make sure we stayed in the Premier League. As Colin said, Van der Sar was the, you know, the most incredible signing. Hangeland was very important, but I think the greatest signing would have to be Louis Sahar uh, for the money. Uh, it was very cheap, and he was just the icing on the cake on an incredible team. And A couple of things we didn't, touch on um, Fulham were the first team and, and still the only team to reach 100 points in a season twice a few teams have done it once we're the only ones that have done 100 points twice and we did it twice in two years and still managed to do it either side of a, a millennium 
Um, <laughs> so, but that of everything. Um, but so that that's pretty incredible, and that just shows you just how dominant um, we were in that. He liked that one, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I like that show one. you how dominant we were <laughs> in those in those first few years with the investment that he was putting into the club and the ambition that he had. Um, the other unique fact is that we're still unbeaten in Europe at home, and and every single European game came under his ownership, um, from the Intertoto to the the Europa League to the second Europa League. Although it felt like we did lose at home to a dense that night, but um, when it was two-two, but yeah, we're still unbeaten at home, and the only team with a longer unbeaten run at home in Europe in England is Ipswich. Uh, I think we're about seven or eight games behind them. And that's that record's still on, but you know, <laughs> knowing the current ownership, that is on fire. That is on fire. But you know, it just all this just adds up to what has been what what was the most incredible journey um and to just imagine Fulham in Europe is one thing but to to be able to sit here and say we're still unbeaten in Europe and that's about 25 26 games it's not three or four it's just pretty incredible so yeah greatest signing would have to be Louis Sahar favorite memories I think what I loved about Alfie that was that he loved to be loved I think he, he wanted the fans to, to like him. He wanted to be popular and he had a great sense of humour as we've touched on. I love the getting the you know, the fifty quid, um the fifty pound note out when Mark Hughes is giving his uh, first press conference about am I gonna get funds for new players? I love the the you know, the sale of the club when Shahid's on the pitch and he's got the fake moustache on. You know, taking the piss out of him. You know, I, I, I love that. I absolutely love that about him. Fulham are that kind of club. It's like, we don't need the big clubs to take the piss out of us. We're quite happy to take the piss out of ourselves because we know what we are. We're proud of who we are. We're here for the good times. So I just felt like he had the unique Fulham sense of humour. And I suppose my favourite memory was just seeing him on the pitch every home game or as many as he went to because it just reminded you that it was still part of it and we was all in it together. And I think that's very important. Players, managers, you know, owners. We've seen a lot recently with players not getting their own way and, and sort of not behaving in a very good way and forgetting that the club is more important than any individual. I thought when Al Fire was here for large parts of it, we were a very united football club and I'm grateful that we had him. You know, I can't thank him enough. And no matter how crap the Premier League gets with VAR and financial fair play and we might be in relegation scraps forever, it doesn't matter. I'll never be the fan that says, wish we was in the championship because I want my kids and the next generation to relive the dream that I lived as a child. And I wouldn't have lived that dream if it hadn't been for him. So, thank you, Mo. Follow that, Tom. Look, in terms of signings, um, I don't disagree with either of the other uh, suggestions. One I'll come on to be different, actually, Colin's mentioned was Steve Finnan. Steve Finnan we signed, uh, I think it was when Keegan was in charge from Notts County, and he was a player who wasn't, 
you know, wasn't noisy, wasn't high profile, but he just got better and better and better. And he didn't look out of class when we moved up from the third tier to the second tier to the top tier. And obviously he went on and won Champions League with with, um, with Liverpool and he played in um, international, played in um, uh, international tournaments, European Championship for, the, for Ireland and everything else. And he was just, he was an immaculate player. Absolutely, but very, very low key, but absolutely superb and reliable and dependable. And I thought he was just one of those signings of somebody who you could see the quality, and he just got better and better for us. And we had him during that during that period as he progressed. So I think he was maybe not necessarily the most renowned signing, but um, a really important signing in that journey. Um, you know, my my absolute best memory of the whole of the Mohammed Al Fayed period from. August 1997, all the way through to uh, to the European final in Hamburg, was actually on the 16th of December 2003, because that is the day when we finally confirmed we'd be going back to Craven Cottage, and that he was a big enough man and a character to say, I'm giving the supporters what they want, we're going home. Even though that hadn't been what he'd been wanting to do, or hadn't been the vision, that he'd changed course, but he'd done it, and as Danny just said, he'd done it as part of what he understood which was about a football club he wasn't absent he was present he was at games the whole time you know he was involved he loved it he loved the fans he loved everything about the game he fell in love with Fulham Football Club and that he did the most important thing that any fan asked of him to do which is take us back home I think is the mark of somebody who got football in a way that many owners that you look at not just at our club, but other clubs now, you wonder whether they do. He definitely did. And for that, you know, he was a man of a particular period of time. But in Fulham's history, it is an incredible, incredible part of our history. That period from when he bought the club until uh, until when he left is must be community of the best, the best few years, best whatever it was, 20 years or roughly 20 years that we, that we were of our history. And I feel incredibly privileged to have lived through that, to enjoy it, to be talking about it tonight and remembering a man who was a very, very important part of the history of our club. And whatever other controversies he was involved in in other aspects of his life, for Fulham, he was absolutely superb and we should always remember him that way. Hear, hear, sir. And that very eloquent closing means I can't top that, so I'm going to wrap up. So <laughs> there we go. Thank you very much. Tom Collins and Danny for reminiscing about Chairman Moe's time in charge of our club. If you care, favorite signing, Collins John, of course, closely followed by John Pansel, who's the only person I've ever had put on the back of a Fulham shirt. Um, and favorite moment was that Pompey game in the pub, but because there was something, it felt like a, a rebirth. And it was for all of the right reasons. Unfortunately, dear listener, normal service is resumed next week as it's international break and J-Mac and the others are going to be looking back at the last few weeks in the life of Fulham Football Club. Yeah, I'm not going to show up for that one, but please do because it's going to be a cracker. Listen to them. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. I think we should all go off, raise a glass to Mo because he deserves it. He did amazing things for our club, and I was very sad when I heard he died. So thank you, gents. This has been great. 
This has been your Full and Focus Podcasts. Until next time, come on, you whites.